Hello, and welcome to Grow With Soul. I'm Kate Ferris, a coach, writer, hiker, and recovering high achiever, and this is a work in life podcast. Join me for discussions and musings about how our work can be a small and magical part of a bigger, more meaningful life. So come on in, get comfy, and let's begin. Hello, and welcome to Grow a Soul. Over the last few weeks, I've been pre-launching the cabin and writing a lot of content on the blog that really digs into some of the concepts that we'll be immersing in in the cabin. In the last episode, How to Have a Fulfilled Life, I very briefly covered the nine pillars that are in the cabin and that are kind of the key themes to having a fulfilled life. So today what I'm doing is sharing the four deep dives from the blog, and that's presence, devotion, ritual, and effort. If you are listening to this episode as it goes live, the early bird pricing window for the cabin closes this weekend. That means that it's your last chance to get £50 off and also my course Make More Time for free. The cabin officially begins on the 1st of August, but as it's a very easeful pace, you can join up until the 15th. The cabin won't be running again until September 22. 23 that's next year (laughs) so if you'd like to spend the next nine months gently taking your dream life from theory to reality get your early bird pricing this weekend and now on with the show presence be here be here be here be here this is the refrain that I've come to tell myself when I'm too much in my head Often I am my most present on a walk in the hills, but even there I can find myself an hour in and realising I haven't been there at all. I haven't really seen anything. I haven't heard any birds. I haven't been living in this life. I've been somewhere else entirely. When I am not here, I am not living. This is what I have learned. Here is not a place marked on a map. It's not a set of conditions or circumstances. It is just presence. It is being body and mind in this minute, looking at what's actually here and feeling the breeze against your skin. Yes, but mostly it's having your thoughts tethered and peaceful rather than running wildly into the future. We live in a world obsessed with achievement and next steps, and that means we default to a there-centric way of being. I see it in the questions I'm asked on Instagram when I do Q&As for this podcast. What do I do when it feels impossible to get where I want to be? How do I get there? I am no stranger to existing there instead of here to spending time daydreaming and longing and planning and thinking about what it will be like once I have achieved something. I used to think about how perfect life would be once I was working for myself and then I thought about how perfect it would be to live in a house of my own and then I thought about everything I'd do 
once I'd moved out of that house and into a new one. <laughs> the obvious thing to say here is that the there in the R scenarios keeps moving and changing so it becomes a place you can never be. But you already know that. You've heard enough people on the internet say it and have lived that exact same pattern enough to know that it's true. The real problem to me is that hours of this daydreaming about there adds up to days of daydreaming and those days add up to months, to years, to a life of mentally existing in another time. This is a twilight, half-waking kind of life. A lumbering body, not feeling itself brush against stinging nettles while closed eyes focus on an imagined future. A life lived only in your head is not one that is fulfilling or true. The only life that's real, that's true, is the one that is here. We need to shift the prominence of here and there. I am not at all advocating an all or nothing, either or approach. You must not force yourself to be only present and punish yourself for drifting into flights of fancy. I actually think it's important to have a there in order to maintain some hope or some momentum in a direction. We just need to not let ourselves live there. We need to see our there as a symbol and not a genuine destination where our happiness lives. Your happiness lives where you put it, so why not put it on the table in front of you? Start to catch yourself slipping off to there and say, be here, even if it's just for a little bit. Even if you momentarily lift your head up on a walk and look around. Even if you stretch your arms above your head and feel the sinews in your back. Presence is a practice. All the little reminders I've given myself to be here have become a habit. Without thinking, I can now draw back the threads of my thoughts into the now and feel my way to what is needed for happiness now. Because now is the only time I can experience it. Devotion. I've been thinking about devotion. In fact, it was a strong contender for my word of the year, being just pipped at the post eventually by Revel. After its second place finish, it kind of dropped off my radar for a little while, as did my actual word of the year during a tricky winter. But lately, it's been coming back to me on the wind. Devotion. It feels like something I want, something I could use, yet I haven't been able to fully crack it yet. Or have I? Devotion filtered through to me last year via Americans talking about devotional practices. And I can't for the life of me remember the context of this or how that kind of came into my algorithm, but there we go. I was not raised in Christianity or in any religion at all. I can count on my fingers the number of church services I've been to and all of them are either funerals or weddings. However, I actually know a lot about devotion. What some of you may know is that I have a master's degree in history of art, but I actually specialised in medieval and renaissance religious art. I have spent 
hours studying devotional practices from the large-scale and public demonstrations of cathedrals through to the tiny and personal illuminations in books of hours. I am pretty rusty, but I can read the symbolic messaging and altarpieces and I can walk into a church and understand how the services ran 800 years ago from the structure of the building. Of course, I know devotion only in an academic way, but that interest was piqued by something. I have always felt awed by the effort made to create beauty in the name of faith, for something to be so important, so beloved, that gold became paint and stone became stories. Of course, most religious art also has a secular function as a signifier of power and status, but Here I must haul myself back to the point because I could go on about this all day. What I will say is that the most touching pieces are the ones created for personal faith. The tiny prayer books where the owner chose the saints and stories most significant to them. The small travelling altar pieces so that one may worship on long journeys. All of these made only for the eyes of one person, for their personal devotional practice. Given that my understanding of Christian practices is about five centuries out of date, I hadn't really been aware that similar private practices still existed. There was, as there always has been, something about it I was drawn to. The time, effort, art, energy expended to just loving something every day, and the groundedness that that brought to the individual. I longed for a secular version of this devotional practice, but in spite of googling various iterations of secular devotional practice, this didn't seem to really be a thing. So I forgot about it for a little while, until now. When I was first thinking about the thing that would become the cabin, I wrote what makes a fulfilled life in the middle of a piece of paper, and then around the outside I wrote every word that came to mind. One of those words was devotion. Devotion will be our fourth monthly theme and it's shaping up to be the one I'm most excited about because it's the one with the most room inside of it for us all to make something unique and personal. What if your life were a church? What if your creativity were a religion? What would you do every day or every week? I haven't the space to go into all the other types of devotion here, the romantic, the familial, devotion to craft, etc, etc, but what would you do if your life was someone you loved? How would you behave differently? What would stay the same? Who would you be? Ritual. A lot of ways to live your best life, in inverted commas, are rituals. Morning routines, evening routines, tea ceremonies, journaling practice, candles, baths, standing in a forest, breathwork. These are all things that are enticing to me, all things that at various stages over the last five years I've tried, or more accurately thought about trying, and all things I thought were missing from my life. I see people sharing their rituals online and think how lovely it looks how much I'd like to do that too, and yet I also know in the same moment that I'm never going to. I suppose I must be honest and say that one of the reasons why I want some rituals is because they look pretty. 
I want a squat terracotta teapot steaming from the spout to pour into a matching bowl that I hold in the palm of my hand. I also want to look the way I think people with their eyes closed focused on their breathing feel, not the way I feel with my eyes closed focusing on my breathing. These are not, of course, the reasons why I want to be doing things in my life, but I think my fascination with ritual goes deeper than the consumerist surface. Because underneath that surface are other longings. My interest in morning routines belies a craving for order and calm. Lovely teapots aside, a tea ceremony speaks to a desire for intentional nourishment. Breathwork is a way of being in touch with one's body, journaling a prioritisation of feeling. My fascination with ritual does, in fact, go deeper than the pretty surface. I crave regular grounding. The most beautiful thing about rituals, I think, is that they are unfettered devotion to oneself. They are an act of giving over our most precious commodities, time and attention, to be with ourselves and fulfil our needs. As I was planning out the monthly deliveries for the cabin, I wrote without thinking that there would be a monthly ritual. This felt natural and necessary because of course living one's most fulfilled life will be abetted by giving time and attention to just ourselves. And then I started to panic. How was I, this chaotic ritualist person, about to tell people to have rituals? I was mulling this problem over in my mind on one of my regular walks. I remember I was approaching the boggy bit in the field after the fourth gate, picking my way over rocks. I remember jolting my freewheeling thoughts to a halt with, but hold on, isn't this a ritual? Don't I ritualistically walk these paths basically every day so that they are so familiar I know the route through the boggy bit without even thinking about it? After that, I began to see I have lots of rituals. Every morning I make a cup of tea and sit at my desk and listen to some music before I start work. I never counted that as a ritual before, perhaps because I'm drinking PG tips and not a loose leaf green, or perhaps because I do it every day and it doesn't seem special enough. But the point of the ritual is not that it uses the right equipment or that it has some special import. The point is that it is time devoted to grounding into yourself. When I thought of rituals, it was always something I thought I needed to add to my life, something that was missing. Now I see that ritual is implicit throughout my days, from that morning tea, to my daily walk, to the time on the sofa doing the day's wordle. They are all giving me what I wanted a ritual to do, I just needed to clock on and receive it. Effort, or as we call it in the cabin, trying. I have become allergic to effort. There was a seven minute gap between writing the end of that sentence and beginning this one, precisely because it was effort to think about what to write next. When I talk with my friend Jen about business growth ideas and things we could do, more often than not, my conclusion is, that would be great, but honestly, I just can't be bothered. (laughs) This isn't exactly something I'm proud of, As much as I don't believe she's a hard worker should be the pinnacle of a person's worth and morality, I also don't feel 
good and like my best self when I avoid efforts at all costs. I wonder whether this started when I decided to focus on freedom, ease and flow as the characteristics I was aiming for in my work. That if something doesn't feel that way, it is wrong or I simply don't want to do it. But of course, easeful isn't the same as easy. Freedom was never gained by avoiding hard things and it takes energy or effort for a river to flow. Perhaps my allergy developed earlier than that though. Perhaps it began in the ashes of a burnout where my brain linked working, trying, making money, effort to unhealth and collapse. Most likely it's a mix of all of it. A mix of this trepidation and my convenient misdefinitions, plus a natural inclination to lie down. Interestingly, I can only get myself to exercise if I promise myself I won't try hard beforehand. (laughs) Either way, for months and months, effort has been the enemy to avoid at all costs. But really, the issue isn't effort at all. It's the fear of effort. It is trying to avoid discomfort, to be afraid of strenuous energy expenditure. It's numbing out. It's not trying so that then you, or I, can't be disappointed. Because actually effort isn't bad. I have spent months avoiding any yoga videos which contain the words core and heat. Yet when I get going with my flow, I find myself actually eager to stick a few sit-ups in at the end. When I sit at the laptop and writing the next sentence is so hard, if I just hold on for 10 more minutes, I can usually start again. Effort is a type two adventure. It doesn't always feel good at the time, but the buzz of completion is absolutely worth it. I have missed out by avoiding effort. I missed out on the fun I could have had being creative and experimenting with reels and different post styles because it was too much effort to learn. I missed out on months of writing because it was too much effort to sit through the pain barrier. When I was in Lisbon, I spent a lot of money on a day trip that wasn't very good because it was too much effort to buy a ticket at the train station to go by myself. Every day, I look at mountains that feel like too much effort to climb. So now I am slowly, slowly, trying to make an effort, or rather, to not let the effort of doing something be the reason I don't do it. That way, regret lies, and a hollow life. It takes effort to steer yourself into a new lane, to stop going with the tide of others' expectations and what's normal, and start to swim against it to your own island. It takes effort to reclaim your life, but that's not a reason not to. If you'd like to read these posts individually, you can find all the links to them in the show notes at simpleandseason.com forward slash podcast. The cabin is at simpleandseason.com forward slash the cabin. And you can find me on Instagram at simpleandseason. If you have a friend who you think would really enjoy this episode, then please do send them the link and share if you're listening online too. And until next time, I hope you grow the soul.